turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. As we turn our attention to our series Arise, Move, and Go, we move to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. It's there that we get a look at the tyranny of our old appetites and the training of new appetites. Join us. I don't know about you, but I love those but gods in Scripture, like in Ephesians, where you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive, right? Those are amazing statements. But what happens once you are made alive? Well, there's a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new, says the Apostle Paul. And a great illustration of all of this can be found in Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. We'll focus in on the tyranny of our old appetites and the training of new ones. And at the end of the day, God has done it all. We begin with a look at God taking a bride for himself out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Now, what God has just done is he has just purchased him a bride. He went into Egypt and purchased him a bride. And he went in there like a real man, knowing exactly the woman he wanted. And he realized that there were some obstacles in the way that he had to deal with to get her. Well, he summarily handled every obstacle and grabbed her by the hand and walked her out in dignity to bring her to himself. That's what you read in Genesis 19, verse 4. You saw how I brought you out of Egypt and put you on eagle wings and lifted you up and took you away from your former slave master to make you my bride. Do you remember that? Now, the reason I'm shaping the narrative this way is because the thing that you and I are engaging in when we read our Bible is God's story. This is what we're learning, is are we not? We're all telling stories. And the issue is how right is your story? And particularly when that story is shared with others. It's so important to know that we we talk about coupling together in marriage. We're sharing stories. At the most profound level, two people are sharing stories, are they not? And God has chosen to come along with his story and share it with their story and bring the two stories together. 
And that's what you get from Exodus all the way through the story of God and the story of his church combined together, learning to walk in harmony, enhancing each other, reciprocating so that you know that there's no separation between the head and the body. No separation between the man and the woman. No separation between God and his people. Am I making some sense? I would have you to note as we work through this, we're in the 16th chapter. And if you follow your outline, arise, move and go, that is our theme for this year, is it not? And we're on our eighth encampment, according to the, how many encampments are the Israel to do? 42. Now we're on number eight. That means we're just one quarter away, right? Uh, Number eight for Israel is about 45 days into their journey. 45 days are they being distanced from a world that is the world that they knew. And it's the only world that they knew. 45 days are they being removed from a lifestyle and a culture and a normalcy from which they knew nothing else. Another glorious God came in and brought them out of their former world And they are 45 days in their journey. I'm I'm pressing at home. 45 days. And they are removed further and further from their homestead. So they are going through some real dynamics on the psychological, sociological, and physiological level. Would you guys agree with me? I've got to lay a foundation or you won't see the Bible for what it really is. Somebody come snatch you up out of your native neighborhood and take you with them. And for 45 days, they distanced you geographically and sociologically and circumstantially. You're going to go through something. You got 1.3 million people going through the desert away from their own homestead. And they're going through the desert doing this. That's remarkable. This is the kind of, again, paradoxical tension that on the surface doesn't make sense. But if you understand covenant, it makes all the sense in the world. For the Bible says God put man into a deep sleep, took a rib from inside and built him a woman and brought her to the man. And the the man saw the woman and recognized that she was she was his he she was his counterpart. And the Bible says the twain became what? That's called a process. That's called a process. Did y'all get that? It's not an instantaneous thing. A man and a woman don't become one because they go hocus pocus. (laughs) Or sign on the dotted line, I do. It's a long process to bring two people together and weld their stories in a way that they harmonize, overlap, enhance, and augment the truth. That takes some time. And in order for that to work most efficiently, both of those parties have to be removed from their former state. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father. And go into the wilderness of a kind of solitude with his bride. 
so that they can begin working through and understanding each other's story. Because after all, they got a place they got to go. And when they get there, they got to be on the same page. Anybody keeping up with me? See, so what we're talking about in our Genesis, our Exodus narrative is really a love story. So one kind of story we have is what is called a love story. Y'all know something about that. This is where, you know, it's just my imagination running away with me. That's called the love story because in that sphere, you get to actually employ your imagination around what could be and what should be. But you also have what is called a life story, how things work on the ground. And if we get it right, we merge, we converge, we homogenize our love story with our life story, and we get a beautiful thing called the two becoming one flesh. Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all got that. That's going to be our struggle for two to three weeks in the marriage class, figuring out how the two can become one at the narrative level, at the story level, at how you talk to yourself, how you think about your world how you imagine things, how you want things to be. Am I making some sense? And God knows his story and he has one and he's bringing men and women into it. And many of us have entered into God's story, have we not? And I'm so glad he came along and chose me out of this crazy world to make me his bride. And now I'm rolling with God, but he's taking me through the wilderness so that I can learn who he is. Now he knows who I am. Problem is, I don't know who I am. And Israel didn't know who he was. Uh, She was. And what you and I are getting ready to see is how coming to know God is coming to know yourself. And that becomes the difficult thing. You keeping up with me? Uh, Something strange happened in the opening verses, but I kind of get it because I understand the theme. We have a growing distance taking place from the norm which they have been used to. And there has become now as they're walking, walking, walking down the wilderness, an inclination, watch this now, to distort, to distort, to distort, an inclination to distort, to, to modify, extremely distort. And it became what is called a group think dynamic. In other words, it wasn't one or two people. By the time they got 45 days in, everybody is uttering the same narrative. But it's a distorted narrative. And that's what happens when you are, you and I are not used to the norms being changed. There's something happening on the inside of them of which they began to talk about as they made their way down the peninsula of the wilderness further and further away from Goshen, further and further away from Egypt. They're talking now. They're creating narratives now. They're making assumptions now. They're building conclusions, are they not? And let me remind you as I'm building this, they don't know God as they ought to know God. And so they got problems with this new lover, don't they? Because he's taking them down a course that requires certain characteristics that haven't yet developed in them. And so they are distorting their present stress, distorting their present stress. We we call this in politics and sociology uh, crisis management. 
When you're under a crisis, you are inclined to distort reality because stress is moving your limbic system. You are in this constant state of emergency and you are prone to exaggerate. Am I making some sense? Listen to it for yourself if you think, I don't know what I'm saying. And they took their journey from Elam all the congregation of the children of Israel and came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. We'll look at that in a moment. And on the 15th day of the what month? That's right. After they're departing out of the land of Egypt, that's 45 days. In the Hebrew calendar, it's always 30 days, not like our calendar. So 30 days and then a half a month. And that's 45 days that they've been hanging out with Jehovah. And Jehovah is moving them away from their old lover, Pharaoh. Y'all got that? 45 days in, and now they're finding themselves in a crisis and wanting to distort the present situation, which is the same as when God is calling you and I to walk by faith, and we stop understanding the principle of walking by faith and begin to walk by sight. We will increase the crisis of the moment and diminish the promise of the future. Did that make some sense? We will, we will increase, inflate the crisis of the moment, and by doing that, you will diminish the promise of the future. That means you're impacting your faith, because faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for is future-oriented. And when you're dominated and shrouded by the kind of crisis mentality that has you locked into the moment, your faith cannot help you because you lose sight of the bigger and better and greater, more excellent promise that this man who has come to deliver you has promised you. You know what I'm saying is true. And these folks have gotten trapped. We call this the focus trap, don't we? It's a focus trap that they're locked into. Amazing. Will you listen to what it says in verse two? And the whole congregation of the children of Israel did what? Murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is what they are doing. They are struggling with their movement. They're struggling with their progress because they're actually coming to understand they don't have the faculty to be able to deal with the strange event The more it goes on, the stranger it gets. And that's because right now, psychologically and emotionally, they're lost. Now, come on. You know when you're hanging out with that dude and he says he knows where he's going, but that intuition kicks in and says, it don't seem like he know where he's going. (laughs) Right? Then you try to roll with it. You stay cute. I'm going to just roll with it. But five minutes later, it's just the intuition said, uh-uh. And then you're struggling, aren't you? Because you haven't come to learn to trust that person. And that's what Israel is doing right now, struggling with believing God. And not only struggling with that, they, <laughs> look, in their minds, they have kicked God out the driver's seat and they have stepped over into that sea, and they have made a U-turn, burning rubber, going back in the other direction. I had thought about making a movie one day and just some of my bucket list stuff. And this movie was about how during the whole movie, audibly and rhetorically, we're saying one thing, but in our mind, we're suddenly saying something else altogether. Wouldn't that be a funny movie? 
well, I'm going to keep working on it. Anyhow, that's the point. A lot of us will be saying one thing with our lips and in our minds and hearts, we're saying something else. Now, married folk know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is why our walk with God in the Bible is an excellent manual for marriage. This is what's going on here in our text. Our brothers and sisters to the point of 1.5 million have distorted the present, minimizing the future, and they have actually begun to create a lie about the past. Now, that's bad. Listen to what they said over in verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Boy, if that's not a reversal of thought, there is none. If, if that's not a radical regret on buying into the agenda, you know how you have buyer's remorse? This one is huge. Do you hear your Bible? Do you know what they just said? They said, rather than walking by faith and trusting a God who came and got us, not because we deserve being got, but because he heard our cry and decided to be God for men and women who were crying out for deliverance. Am I making some sense? And he came and got us in such a glorious way. In a month and a half into the marriage, we want to quit. See what I'm getting at here? Not only that, these crazy Christians have said it would have been better for God to have killed us right along with the Egyptians. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Let's drill on down because you know I don't play with the superficial. It means something. It means a whole lot. They said we'd we'd rather have died with the Egyptians because at least we would have died over against the flesh pots, over against McDonald's and Burger King in all of your modern restaurants. Now, I know some of you self-righteous and you don't ever go there, but it is what it is. Go to third world countries and they love Burger King. They love McDonald's. They love the convenience food. That's the metaphor I'm speaking to. The corrupt convenience food that our whole society is dominated by today. They love the synthetic food, the synthetic culture, the synthetic market which was in abundance in that day. See, there's nothing new under the sun. They loved everything that was characterological about Egypt, everything. They loved the Egyptian convenience, the Egyptian polytheism. They loved the Egyptian hybrid gods, which is where we're going in our culture. Do you understand what I just stated? We're right up on hybrids. That's why I said in a minute, it's not a who, it's a what. And they had put all that in their Egyptian writings. You saw male heads and animal bodies and, and animal heads and male bodies. And you did, if you look carefully, you saw very terrestrial and extraterrestrial things taking place. A combining of the solar system with the physical dimension. They already have been begun to look at this crazy society that you and I are in right now. This was called Egyptology. 
Am I making some sense? We are there. And look at God, child of God. He loved them enough to snatch them up out of the new world order, which for them was the old world order, in order to bring them into a world order where God, the true and the living God, is their reality. He loved them enough to deliver them from that crazy stuff. And here they are talking about, I'd rather die when we did eat the bread to the what? Full. See, this is what we mean by convenience and sufficiency and fullness. They had rather, watch this now, be slaves than free men and women. You're not going to get away. You need to hear it. See, if a person feeds you enough of something to where you give your soul over in allegiance to it, you become a slave to that thing. To whom you yield your members, you become slaves of, Romans chapter 6. Now, child of God, men and women all over the world today are slaves and don't even know it. And, and most of the American people that I live among are slaves and don't even know it. We might quickly assert that they are slaves spiritually. They really are slaves of Satan. But I would also that, say that they are slaves on a sociological level. They are slaves to materialism. They are slaves to money, to mammon, slaves to culture. Slaves to convenience. They are slaves to traditions. They are slaves. They are slaves. And this is why many of them are not coming to Christ. They'd rather be a slave to the convenience systems of this world than be a free man or woman of God in Christ. Am I making some sense? Let me drive it on home because this is really, this is so absolutely true. This is what our our text is dealing with. What, What the Hebrew people here in this culture are fundamentally saying, not to God, but to Moses. We'll talk about that in a moment. Hey, Moses, Moses, look, man, we're Egyptians. That's what we are. We're Egyptians. We've lived as Egyptians for 430 years. Now you didn't come in and dragged us out and we don't know where we're going. And our condition now is way worse on the physical level than we ever had it when we were slaves of the Pharaoh administration. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It was so good to them that they'd rather die with Pharaoh, come under the judgment of God with Pharaoh, be part of the death of the firstborn with Pharaoh, and drown in the Red Sea with Pharaoh than to walk up out of that Egyptian system by the grace of the living God. Am I making an impact? Right. And and so under our first point, which becomes so abundantly clear, this was a national what? Complaint. This was a national complaint because of the physiological challenges. This is what Shelby Steele had said, and I shared this with you about six months ago. This is called the shock of freedom. This is why a lot of people struggle with freedom because it will shock you when you come to discover that freedom requires responsibility, that freedom requires choice making, that freedom requires a boldness and confidence 
by which walking by faith, you continue in your freedom until you establish your identity, establish your territory, establish your inheritance and plant your flag as a free man or woman of God. Am I making some sense? The shock of freedom is the reason why a lot of slaves go back into slavery, even though the declaration of emancipation is made. They'd rather enjoy the comforts and security of a tyrannical slave master than the freedom that comes with the true and the living God telling you you are created in the Imago day. No creature in the planet has any right to govern your life without the permission of God. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street here in Hayward. The zip code, 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace.